Well, as we talk about uh, the four possible rocks that I feel like we can move together, this really comes out of a conversation that I've been having with you guys uh, for the last five, almost six months now, uh, since I began uh, here at RCC. Uh, the elders and staff and, and some of you have been very gracious to me and giving, giving me a list of people to talk to, uh, just, just to kind of get the vibe and the culture at RCC, what you value, what you don't value, what you're excited about, what you miss, and what you mourn, and what you're looking forward to. Uh, so so he, here's the deal. If I have not yet talked to you, do not be afraid. It doesn't mean you made or didn't make the list. It just means you haven't invited me out for a steak dinner yet, okay? Uh, I'm willing to talk to you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm cheap. I'll go for coffee, too. Uh, but, but really, when, when, a, when a pastor says, let's talk about the new year, this isn't some abstract, like, where did he pull that feather out? Uh, this, is, this is a conversation that's developed from our elders, from our staff, and from you. Uh, this is of the people. And I just want to talk about what, what, like, how, like, how does that, if you're sort of new to church, like, how does that actually happen? And so before we jump into the four rocks, I want to talk about um, how, how do we discern the Lord's will? And I think two things need to sync up. And it's important to talk about this because this is the part of the year where most of us are reflective, right? Uh, 2018 has come and gone, and sort of the end of the year asks us, like, so how did it go, right? Did you lose the weight? Did you save the money? Did you buy that thing? Everyone's like, no. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so the end of the year has, has a way of inviting us to reflect on our lives, but also looking ahead. And so it's important as uh, ministry leaders, elder staff, uh, volunteer leaders, and even individually for your own family, that we understand in discerning the Lord's will, two things really have to sync up. The first one is knowing that the Father uh, works and moves at the pace of the Spirit. In, in Zechariah 4, 6, God says, not by, not by my might nor my power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, man, if you're a type A driven person, you hate that verse because you're like, get out of my way. I can work harder and faster than the Lord, right? Right? Everyone's like, I don't know. Can I say that? I'm going to be, yes, yes, because if you're a boss, maybe your employees say that about you. And sometimes it's easier to go at the pace of our own selves and out sprint the Spirit of the Lord. God is not a dominating God. God is not a, if you don't do this, I'm going to flick you off of existence. God moves at the pace of his spirit. And, and, and that's probably hard for us to swallow in America, especially if you're a black and white A and B kind of person. You, you think more scientifically or mathematically, less like an artist or a theologian or a musician. And, and, and God is not interested in losing a race with us. And sometimes we can take charge of our lives. We run faster than the pace of the Spirit, and we miss out on what the Lord would have for us, our church, our, our families, and even our own individual lives. So this, the, the second thing that needs to sync up with number one is when we work at the pace of the Spirit, we work with the Father. So in, in Proverbs uh, 16, verse 9, the writer says, In their hearts, humans plan their course. Everybody is doing that in the next couple of days. Whether you're religious or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody is thinking about their plans for 2019, even if it's for half a second or if they, you know, like me, we get a planner, we put things down and we're like, you know, kind of, we need to relax a little bit. We're all making plans for 2019. But the writer says the Lord establishes 
their steps. So we, we have grown up in a culture, not, not a condemnation, just an observation. <clears throat> it is what it is, not right or wrong. But we've grown up in a culture where our parents have told us, this is America. You can be whatever you want to be. You, whatever you want to do, you just go out there and get it. And we've heard things at a young age that it's really important to what? To make a what? A good first impression. Because personality matters more than our character. As a culture, we didn't really think about personality till dad left the farm and moved into the city and put his face on a TV in the homes of millions of Americans that now character didn't matter. As long as you look good, it could sell something so that you would buy the product. And so we live in a culture where personality outweighs our character. And so we're told, if you want something, you go get it. You go be assertive. The problem is those kids grow up they parent that same way. And then seven to eight years or 10 years, 12, 15 years into the marriage, their kids don't really know them. They're too busy at work. They're too busy doing this or that. And, and when you read the New Testament, Jesus never said to be assertive. Jesus invited us to be submissive. And these two words are at conflict. These two concepts are at conflict with each other. And so as you think about your new year, as we think about RCC in 2019, let us not be assertive. Let us not say, we're going to go take this hill for God. God, keep up. Here we go. Let us be submissive in our planning. Let, let us, let, and I had to learn this in my 20s. I wish I learned it earlier, although I don't know in my teenage years I've actually would have prayed this. But let's pray prayers of permission. After we lay our plans out before the Lord, say, Lord, do, do I have permission to schedule my calendar this way in 2019? I'm doing good things, but, but Lord, what are some ultimate things that I need to be aware of? Jesus invites us to be submissive, not assertive, because Jesus would rather us work with him than for him. Now, that, that's a subtle, you know, prepositions matter, I've come to find out. That's a subtle shift, but, but we use that a lot in our language, don't we? I'm going to go do something for God. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to give 90% of my income and live off of 10%. If that's you, come talk to me after service. I will buy you a steak dinner, okay? <laughs> but when we say, I'm going to do this stuff for God. But Jesus tells us time and time again, you're, you're not slaves anymore. You're, you're, the God in heaven is not your, your, your master. He's your dad. He's your father. And Jesus reminds us time and time again in the New Testament that we're not slaves to be owned, but we're sons and daughters to be loved and cherished. That part of the journey of our life isn't the destination, but the process to get to the destination. Jesus is far more interested in how we're being developed throughout our lives and then, you know, nailing exactly what the end of our life would look like. And he's more interested in the local church working with him than for him. Like Jesus is already taking care of the big cosmic thing, the big cosmic elephant in the room that we couldn't take care of, right? This is the foundation of our faith that Jesus on our behalf died for our sin and rose again three days later. In about three or four months, we're going to have three parties and celebrate that on Easter. I personally can't wait for that. But Jesus is already taking care of the biggest uh, uh, the biggest um, separation between us and the Lord. And so he invites us. You're not my employee. You're, you're my friend. You're, you're, my, you're my son or you're my daughter. You're my, you're my brother. You're my sister. I want to walk with you. 
So as we talk about the four rocks that we want to move uh, together uh, in uh, 2018, uh, I want to invite you uh, to, to, to close your eyes with me. And um, I am going to offer you an all-expense-paid, uh, completely taken care of, church-wide vacation. Thank you for giving in 2018. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but close your eyes. And, and if I were to tell you the whole church is going on a vacation to uh, the beach of a lifetime that you've always wanted to visit, put that beach in your mind. It has to actually exist. It's not like a sci-fi beach where there's aliens running around. Can you, can you feel the sand in your toes and the your drink of choice or your book of choice in your hand, kids running in the water hoping that your spouse is looking after them, all right, waves coming down. Are you there? All right, open your eyes. How many of you picked that you would go to Clearwater Beach in Florida? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you would go to Myrtle Beach? South, I grew up going there every other summer. All right, you guys are fancy. All right, what about how many of you went to St. Lucia? Anybody in the room? All right, show of hands. Um, how many of you chose a beach stateside? You stayed in America. No? One, two, three. All right. Sec all right. So the next question is, how many of you went to a beach somewhere in the world? Yes. Okay. Wow. You guys are way more exotic travelers than the first service. I like you guys. So here's the deal about mission, vision, values, and direction. I just said we're going to a place, but everybody else had their own idea of what that place is. And so in the church world and in business and raising your family, if there's not a, an agreed-upon preferred future, everyone's going to have these sideline conversations. Why did he pick Florida? I wanted to go, you know, to Europe or to St. Lucia or, you know, I wanted to go to California. It's, it's critical that as a church we have alignment and focus around the four rocks in 2019. Now, here's the deal. We're not saying taking, take your ball and go home if you, if you, don't, if you disagree with it. That, 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 that's, that's part of the nature of, of life. That's a part of nature of, of living. But, but what we're asking is to come around it and help us push these rocks forward. It's interesting. The last prayer that Jesus uh, asked of the Father before he was crucified in John 17, 21 is this that all of them may be one, talking about the disciples and us, future followers of Jesus, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I and in you, another claim to deity, may they uh, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's interesting uh, in, in America where everything, you know, bigger is better, right? That the last prayer that Jesus mentioned to the Father was that, uh, he, what he didn't pray is that all churches grow to be megachurches. Now, there's nothing wrong with me megachurches. Like, Jesus tells a story, the parable of talents. There's ten talent people, eight, seven, five. And if you're a church of a hundred, be a healthy church of a hundred. If you're a church of a thousand, be a church, a healthy church of a thousand. He did not pray for all churches to be big, massive, uh, um, uh, uh, big, massive, large churches. But what he did pray is that all churches would be unified churches. Unity was one of the last things on Jesus' mind before he was crucified and before he rose from the dead and went back to heaven. It was that important for Jesus. Like, 
Like, like, like not, not, in a, not in a selfish sense where like, all right, all right, Father, I've, I've developed these men for three years. Don't let them mess it up. No, he knew what was happening. He knew the cross was going to happen. He knew that those associated with him were going to be on the run for a while because what happened to their leader often in, Ro- in the Roman Empire would happen to the followers. And so he prayed for them to be unified and to not give up. Man, without clarity, without alignment, and without unity, uh, churches have um, run the risk of expending sideways energy, meaning they do a lot of stuff, but nobody's moving forward and we're not getting anywhere. So I'd like to talk about the four rocks that I believe we can, that are within our reach, our grasp, and move forward next year. And so the word or the phrase that I would use simply would be in 2019, we're laying the foundation for future growth, for future impact. And so the first one is this, the rock of leadership development. In uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, so Paul discipled Timothy. Timothy's a young church planner in a European city called Ephesus. You might have read a book of the Bible called Ephesians. Uh, some scholar, he's, he's around my age, mid-30s, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, and he's planning churches in Ephesus. And Timothy says, Paul, how do I do this? And Paul says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, remember when I allowed you to preach? Remember when I allowed you to teach? Remember when we visited people in the hospital? We, we, we led uh, small groups together. We took care of the poor, the marginalized, the widows. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Do that. Oh, how do I do that? Well, grab a few men and women that are faithful, available, and teachable, and invest over the next three to six to 12 months in them. And then after the course of that time, you ask those men and women to to ask five to six other people uh, to be discipled by them as well. Let Let me just cut to the chase. When you're a church planner, and it's you and your family on day one, right? You're just praying that the people that show up that could be the future leaders are somewhat emotionally stable. If they love Jesus, that's a win. And they're faithful with their attendance, giving, and service. But that's not always the case when you start a new venture, right? If you're an entrepreneur, if you started a business, you know that to be true. And Paul tells Timothy, you start a church, you lay the foundation by investing in other people so that other people can invest in other people. We're not interested in bigger rooms at RCC. We're interested in higher ceilings. Because if you invest in other people, then the potential for your church to reach more people and get them connected and in small groups and serving teams and this and that, when you have more people leading others who are leading others, you have more bandwidth to reach more people. But Oftentimes what happens in churches and organizations and businesses is that it's one leader doing everything. So I could speak, I could speak, you know, at Gillette Stadium. That'd be, that'd be a trip. Like we could have services at Gillette Stadium, but if I've never invested in one person, I'm not doing the kingdom work that Jesus is asking his disciples to do. Does that make sense? And it's just life on life. It is shoulder to shoulder, Okay. And I love the fact that Jesus invited men who were not 
I don't want to say smart enough, but smart enough, good enough to be rabbis. Because if they were good Jewish boys, they would have, uh, they would have passed the Torah test. They would have gone through oral interviews with local rabbis, and rabbis would have selected these men. But you find these men collecting taxes, fishing, hanging out, uh, walking around, and Jesus invites these men to follow him. You don't have to have a degree in God, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. That you could have a PhD in theology, uh, but you have to be available. And so what does leadership development look like at RCC? Well, we're at, we're at the beginning stages of this, okay? So it's going to take us all of 2019. But I, wanna, I, I want that um, statement to be in your mind. Higher ceilings versus wider walls, okay? And the, and the first thing of what that looks like is all current ministry teams will be led by a volunteer leadership team comprised of men and women. So we have worship, um, sound and tech, uh, first impressions, kids ministry, coffee, parking, uh, tons of teams on the weekend. Over 2019, that will be completely led by volunteers, men and women here at RCC. How that is going to start is every staff person uh, is in charge of those ministries, so to speak, right? And so they will be meeting with those leadership teams every six to eight weeks, uh, asking, how's it going? What are the wins? Do you need resources? What's frustrating you? How can I pray for you to move the ball forward? Now, as time goes on and people are comfortable, then that staff person will touch base with one of those ministry leaders after the meetings because they will be meeting every six to eight weeks on their own. Does that make sense? So this is boots on the ground, what I've been talking about in terms of the church belongs to the people. Uh, and, and we want to empower the people to lead the ministry at RCC. And we want to create a culture of yes and permission giving, allowing men and women to lead the church moving forward. Now, it's not going to be a crazy middle school overnight party at, at your house. No, the elders and staff will provide direction and guardrails, but within those lanes, have at it. Drive it like a rental, right? We're going to move this. I was funnier in my head. We're going to move this church forward. Um, and lastly, uh, what leadership development means, we're going to be hosting quarterly leadership huddles. We had our first one a few months ago. Our next one, I believe, is at the end of February. Uh, as much as I can make this required for a nonprofit entity where you come if you want to, and then you give us a portion of your income, I would say that leadership huddles are mandatory, as, as much as you're in town, to be there. If you are currently in a serving team, leading a small group of, of adults or students, prepping communion, helping people park, this is for you. Uh, this meeting here is once a year, but we're going um, to serve the, the, the smaller portions of this meeting uh, over the course of these four leadership huddles. And so it's critical that we're all on the same page, we're all unified, and we'll go into greater detail about this uh, during the leadership, leadership huddles, which is something I'm really, I'm really excited about. Um, I don't have much time left, but I can't tell you how many men and women who are so nervous to serve for the first time, and then they get that itch and that bug, and they're leading ministry teams, and man, th they can't imagine not doing it. It, it just, it's, it's incredible. It brings a level of vibrancy uh, to churches when men and women are owning the ministry here. So a few ways to have conversations with people, because we want to get practical, put this in your hand. 
I, I, just dream with me here, okay? Um, imagine one asking the Lord for one to three people uh, to cross paths with you here at RCC. We've had a ton of, I mean, we're inviting over 30 people to our next Connection Cafe, so a lot of first-time visitors. But what would it look like if you asked the Lord, hey, Lord, give me one to three people that aren't currently serving on a team between now and Easter, and give me the courage to strike up a conversation with them and just say, hey, this is what I do at RCC. Would love for you to sign up to join one of our serving teams. If you don't like it, it's no big deal, right? It's all volunteer. We would love to help you get connected to another team. And we could do that in four easy conversations. The first one is this. Hey, why don't you join a serving team with me? I'll do everything. You watch, and we'll talk about it, right? This is the same way you would coach a Little League baseball team, right? Or the Red Sox. Um, and then, then the next week or the next time, I'll do some of the things, you watch, and we'll talk. And then I'll do most of the things, you do most of the things, I'll watch, and we'll talk. And then you do everything, I'll watch you, and then we'll talk. Th- this is 2 Timothy 2.2, giving people permission to lead ministry, creating a culture of permission giving and saying yes. This is not, uh, you can do this in your church, you can do this in your business, you can do this in your family life. It's giving people permission to lead in ministry and to own what's happening at RCC. One, one quick thing before we move to the next uh, rock. The day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, and in the first couple of chapters of Acts, where Peter preaches a sermon, you killed Jesus. We told you he was the Messiah, but you killed him. And 3,000 people uh, came to the Lord and were baptized that day. That doesn't happen unless Jesus says, hey, will you come follow me? Hey, I'm going to show you some stuff. And I want you to go into this town, do that stuff, and come back, and we'll talk about it. Pentecost does not happen. Movements of God do not happen if people are not being developed. Does that make sense? You can have a big room, but you won't have high ceilings. And Jesus was creating a momentum shift, a tipping point with his disciples that if they were to have high ceilings and invest in other men and other women, there would be an outpouring of God's grace and God's spirit. And that's how the church was birthed. Not in a beautiful, like sexy, glamorous Facebook live way, but in a simple way where Jesus went up to someone and said, hey, what are you doing? Fishing? Come follow me. I want to talk to you about the kingdom. And then a movement of God that they had never seen happen in their life. They they didn't just see it, but they were active participants in it. I, I I believe the Lord has that for us in 2019. If we have willing hearts, to, 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 to get in the game and to join a serving team in the way that people loved you when you first came, that you would jump on a team in hopes to love somebody else that comes for the first time. Our second rock is getting people into life groups. Uh, I love the weekend experience. I love our services. I, I get a kick out of teaching the Bible every weekend. It's, it's a great, I love my job. It's great. But the good stuff, the rich stuff, happens not in this room, the back-to-back experience, meaning you're listening to somebody talk, and you're not asking questions. I mean, I guess you could. That'd be interesting. Uh, You're not really asking questions, but in a small group, that's not a back-to-back experience. That's a face-to-face experience where you can disagree with the sermon. You can agree with it. You can ask questions. You can debate it. You can say, this is how the Lord's inviting me to grow, or this is where I'm stuck. Can somebody help me? Life groups really is the pivotal point where life transformation happens. In 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul says, you show that you're a letter 
from Christ. You are the result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of the human heart. Basically, Paul says, we are ever only the investment that other people have made in us, and we are ever only the investment we have made in other people. And so if we're just a church that kind of comes here and hangs out on the weekends and we have a good party, I like to think we throw good services, I have fun here. But, but, but if that's it, if, if, that, if that ends and we're just building wider rooms and not taller seating, ceilings, we will not reach our redemptive potential. And in this, and in this verse, Paul is um, being asked to, you know, send me your resume. I want to make sure you're a legitimate pastor. Resume? Just talk to the thousands of people that I've invested in. Talk to all the church planners that I've developed and planted churches all throughout Europe. What, what do you mean, my resume? Talk to the men and women that I've poured my life into. I think, sometimes I think a successful life is when more people show up at your funeral than your, um, your birth at the hospital. And I think Paul had a lot of people that would show up for his funeral because how many people he invested in throughout his life. So let's talk about what are some healthy wins for a life group, you know? Uh, I think for us, healthy wins are life transformation. Your affection for Jesus is growing. Your affection for other people are growing. Life groups is not another thing RCC is doing. Life groups is the thing. RCC is not going to be a church with life groups, but a church of life groups. In the 90s, when I grew up, best time ever, uh, families would give you maybe two days uh, for church, maybe a weekend. Uh, but because of the pace of our, our schedules, it is what it is, just an observation. Families tend to give churches only two hours. They'll come to a service, and then they'll give you an hour for either a life group, a service project. And so we want to honor that hour. And if you're going to give us one hour during the week, we want to make it worth your time. And we really believe that in life groups, in connecting in community, life transformation actually happens. We want to see life transformation, but also honesty and transparency over, uh, over time. Look, you're not going to show up the first night of life group and be like, here's all my deep, dark secrets. If someone does that in your group, get out of it. Uh, <laughs> or just come talk to me and we'll talk about it. But we also want to see growing groups through multiplication versus addition. Meaning if you lead a life group over time, you need to be willing to give people permission to also lead the discussion. Because here's, here's the deal, friends. We almost reached 500 people for Christmas. And so as more people come, we're not going to grow through adding more people to life groups. We want to grow through adding more people to new groups. And that happens when life group leaders are willing to give permission away to other people in their groups to help lead that conversation. So when you know, when the lead minister says, hey, we've got 15 people that want to get in a group, that's good enough, like we can start two groups out of that, who do you have in your group to lead it? And the other line's like, um, nobody? Th th that would be growth through addition. We, we don't want to do that. We want to reach as many people as possible. And so we have to be uh, permission-giving kinds of people. It's not about perfection, but it's about a willingness to do it, okay? You're going to be terrible the first time you lead a life group. That's okay, right? The first time your, your little son or daughter tried to get your attention, they probably didn't say the words eloquently. You didn't care because it was your child. They were trying to say, I love you. Here's my affection towards you. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. 
So don't worry, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. The big picture has taken care of it. But let's be a church that's willing to invest in other people. And the fourth win for life groups, the final one, is to serve together here at RCC, through Connection Cafe and other events, but also out in our community. And so when we do our egg hunts, our 7-5Ks, um, uh, the other one just totally drew, drew a blank. When we do those things, we will funnel that first to our life groups, and we'll, we'll announce it on the weekends. But serving together in your life group provides us an experience that a Bible study doesn't, because it can't. It doesn't provide an experience that just going out to dinner uh, might for your life group. It provides another layer of connectivity. And so we really want to lean in this year to launching new life groups. And you have the opportunity to join one starting next weekend. Throughout the month of January, we're going to do a teaching series called Circles. And we're asking you the simple question, who is in your circle? Or do you even want to be in a circle? After that, we're going to launch our church-wide series, Finding Our Way Back to God. The third, uh, the third rock that we want to move together is enhancing our worship experiences. Uh, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and after she left, she told anybody that would listen, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I don't know if that's encouraging to you or it freaks you out. That there is somebody that knows everything about you, even your middle school years. Could RCC be a place where people come to the first time that are Democrats, Republicans, atheists, Christian, different religions, uh, that are disenfranchised, aren't really sure that Jesus even existed, and are just coming because they thought that this might be a good idea? Could RCC be a church where the over-religious, you know, the men and women that wear their khaki pants a little too tight, they missed out on a relationship with the Lord because they've been so busy following rules that they missed out on the life-giving relationship with the Lord. Could RCC be a place that when people come for the very first time, because they've been loved well, they've been served well, they've been connected in song, in worship, and in preaching, their kids have been loved well, their kids have been taught well, where they leave this place and say, you got to come and see what God's up to here at RCC. There is a movement here. There is a movement of men and women. They vote differently. They act differently. They make different levels of income. They wear different kind of clothes. But the thing that holds them together is Jesus in this relentless pursuit that everybody gets a shot. Man, I need to stop. Everybody gets a shot at following Jesus. And we'll let Jesus work out the details with people. Could that be us? And I think last weekend, uh, yes, it could be. If we are willing to be unified and move RCC forward, that everybody has a shot. And so what does that mean, right? What does that mean to enhance weekend services? By giving you guys tools and resources. I already said we're going to sign up for life groups in January. Then after finding your way back to God, we're going to go through Galatians, challenge the idea of what actually freedom is. We're going to call it live free or die. Uh, I thought it was a good idea. Um, and we're going to give you devotional booklets to read together or a reading plan. We're going to have a massive scripture wall somewhere in this building. As you're reading it, you can highlight on the scripture wall, circle, write prayers out so that the community here knows how the Lord is speaking uh, to you. We care about life transformation. 
And, and look, think about this. Every Sunday is an opportunity for someone to experience Jesus. Every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. We have outreach events every Sunday in Salem. They just happen to be our worship services. They happen to be for anybody curious or convinced about Jesus. Here's the fourth and final one. I, I know I ran over, but I'm feeling it today, so deal with it. Uh, number four, we want to increase. Oh, sorry, we want to increase our digital footprint. That's something I never would have heard of in the '90s. Uh, here's what that means: is here's what that means. There's 168 hours in the week. You're here for one of them. What are we doing as a church for the under the 167 hours? The movie, uh, The Social Network, nailed it perfectly. We used to live on farms, then we moved to cities, and now we live online. And so we're making a concerted effort to put digital content on our Facebook and on our Instagram that will encourage you to stop scrolling and engage with it. And you guys, you guys are killing it. You're liking our stuff, commenting, and tagging your friends to come to you know, whatever next series is, is happening. I, I really believe, and I'm not trying to sound cheesy. I apologize if this, is, if this is. I really believe that if Jesus gave the Great Commission in 2018, he would have said, after taking the gospel into all the world, he would have said, and don't forget all of the people that are curious about Jesus who live online that may be too afraid to go into a physical building. There's a reason why physical malls and, and structures are, are dropping like flies. I mean, Amazon is killing it. But the church doesn't end. The church, uh, the church goes on and on forever. It's an opportunity to engage people who are far from God. So what are some key takeaways? Number one, leadership development, because everyone needs a team to serve on. Launching life groups, because everyone needs a group of friends to walk through life and enhancing worship services, and increasing our digital footprint, because everybody, everybody gets a shot at following Jesus. This is our hope, and this is our prayer for the reality of RCC in 2019. Uh, maybe, may, maybe, may we be excited and unified around these four concepts as we move our church forward. In just a moment, friends, we're going to celebrate communion, and we have uh, communion stations available to you, two in the front, two in the back. And we're going to invite you after I read the scripture and pray uh, to take communion. You can uh, uh, get up from your seat and go to any one of our four stations as you feel led. And then the band will sing a song over us and continue leading us in worship. So here's a scripture I'd like to share with you before we head into communion. Colossians 1.18, Paul says, He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I love that. Even in our lives, that Jesus would have ultimate supremacy. Let's pray. Lord, we've made our plans. We're putting them in front of you. Uh, we, we've, we've had conversations at length with staff and elders and men and women and volunteer leaders and ministry leaders. And we, we, we put these plans in front of you. We believe in confidence you've given us permission to pursue these things. Should these change, may we be submissive to your spirit, not assertive to it, to change course if we need to. Lord, we thank you for this moment of communion where you remind us that you've not given up on us, that you're for our friends who aren't here yet, and that we get to be part of your kingdom. We get to be part of a game that never ends, stories that still need to be told. Thank you for this moment. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.